I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand. This is a podcast about secondhand fashion, what that means for you, your wardrobe, your wallet, your closet, and the actual future of how we buy things. I'm your host, Meredith Feynman, and I am joined by my producer, Sarah Lane. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mare. How's it going over in Washington, D.C.? Because it is a real nice day here in L.A. It's going great. You know, we got these three beautiful days of spring before the swamp really turns into the actual swamp. And uh, you're sweating through 16 layers of clothing. Well, maybe you shouldn't wear 16. Yeah, you know, we have seasons over here. It's kind of a, a thing. But I just got back from New York. I went to Crossroads and got some brightly colored Adidas sneakers that I had not allowed myself to buy in Paris. And then they showed up at this Crossroads for $40 in my size, eight and a half. I wear an eight and a half if anyone would like to send me any shoes. Sounds like it was a fateful, a fateful day at Crossroads. Those shoes were made day. for you. Yes, It's true. They were made for me. And I went to the Real Real store in Soho and got an insane pair of Doc Martens that were a collaboration with Yoji Yamamoto and they're white and I'm going to ruin them immediately, but I love them. <laughs> I always wondered if Doc Martens were comfortable. They never seemed that comfortable, but I've never owned a pair. Well, so these I tried on in the store, so they are incredibly comfortable and I like waffled around. I actually ended up buying them in the store. I like tried to get the best deal and I tried to do all this, which like you can't do with the real real. Like they have the nice stuff. You can't negotiate. Like I couldn't pull out any of my like bag of Meritrix. And I was just like, I stomped out because I was like, fine. I mean, I didn't stomp out. I was like, no, thank you. I'm not going to get them. And then I obsessed about it for four hours on the train home to DC. And then I like tried to like go on the internet and find other discount codes. And like, you know, I have credit on the real real, but it wasn't there yet because of how they like pay out their consigners. And I ended up just fucking buying them. Well, Congratulations. That also sounds fateful. Those <laughs> shoes were made for you. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm, I'm doing this podcast because one of the reasons is my um, shopping issue. Yes, I, I'm here to help you save money and learn about the resale world, but also I'm here to, I guess, just justify my obsessive shopping problem. Yeah, it's a therapeutic exercise. 
You know, what can I you're, say? you're, you're admitting to the world. Yes. I obsessed over shoes for four hours on a train and I had to get them. And that's how the story ended. Well, I literally started, like I signed up for a new account. Cause if you sign up for a new account on the real real using a different email, you get a $25 credit, but then I had to reenter all my credit card information. Like I really have lost it. Well, you wouldn't be the first person I'm sure to, to, to game the system. Maybe isn't the right term, but, <laughs> but, but to get the deal well, that you deserve. I couldn't. And then I was like, fine, I just want them. Um, so what's going on in your consignment land? Anything new? Anything good? Oh, Mayor, I'm glad you asked because, and it's kind of a long story that I, I want to save for an episode focusing on fakes and oh boy. Pass it, passing things off as name brand when maybe oh they're not. So I will save I will save the details for an upcoming episode, but I'll say that I might have a fake acne sweatshirt in my dresser right now. Well, that is a huge issue, and I have a lot to say on that. We will have a whole episode on the wide world of fakes, and there are a lot of fakes in what we're about to talk about. So let's get into today's today's podcast, which is the wide world of Chanel and Hermes. I decided to do an episode on Chanel and Hermes because, for all intents and purposes... Um, excluding Louis Vuitton, Chanel and Hermes are the two luxury brands that hold value unlike anything else. Um, and I kind of wanted to know why. I want to know their backstories. I thought this was going to be a podcast about just handbags and leather. And it went, my research this morning, like, went so off the rails. We've got Nazis. We've got mistresses. We've got, you know, <laughs> lawsuits over money. How did the Nazis get involved? Well, I'm going to tell you. We've All got right. escaping to Switzerland. We've got horses. We've got, like, there's a lot going on here in the histories. I'm, like, deep, deep in, in the history of Chanel and the history of Hermes. And I want to share some of it in addition to... You know, why these particularly handbags with Chanel and Hermes, two luxury brands that are French fashion houses, they both also have, you know, ready to wear and shoes and other things, but we're really going to focus on bags today and just the culture of these luxury brands. Like, Sarah, like, what do you think of when you think of Chanel and Hermes? When I think of Hermes, I think of scarves and Birkin bags. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I way too rich for my blood, but I read enough Vogue magazine to know what that is. <laughs> Chanel kind of. And this is unfair, but I think that it, it, it reminds me of my mother's mother and when she would wear mm. a nice sharp suit. And that would be something like maybe she'd have a nice Chanel suit and she'd wear her pearls. And it's kind of this throwbacky Jackie O type thing. Yeah. Well, both of these brands, Chanel and Hermes, for me... So Hermes was something, it's funny, like classic imposter syndrome. Before recording this, I was like, I don't know enough about Hermes to talk about it. I mean, it is an entire world. It is a crazy, crazy world, uh, buying and selling and shopping Hermes. And I will get into some of it, what I know, uh, and you know, at least some very light 101. For me, Chanel is you know, synonymous with Paris, with fashion and this the history is really that we'll get that I'll get into has got me feeling some kind of way but uh Mm -hmm. I I think I had a couple fake Chanel bags before I ever had a real one and I'm trying to remember my first real one and I've bought and sold a lot of them and I'll kind of get into how difficult that is and can be and again you have to be very careful of fakes and I'll talk about that but it also reminds me of of a family 
thing, my the only Chanel bag that I still have, well, I have two. I have a, like, one of the more classic, you know, the double metal chains, which I will talk about sort of their launch and history of, uh, that was from my mother that she gave to me. I'll never get rid of that. Uh, and then I have this really cool, I don't even know what it's made of. It's a, it's a clutch, a patterned clutch that I got in Paris, and it was a press sample. So it was never sold. It was something that was given away at a Chanel show. And I saw it at uh, Gabrielle Gepart, who is a very interesting French woman designer, consignment store owner. I saw it in her store. She had at one point a Chanel hard hat that I wanted to buy and <laughs> a friend of the podcast, Cindy Gallup, really wanted. But I, I was too late for the Chanel hard hat. And I really thought about buying it. And I was like, you have to have some boundaries. Right. And sure, because are you working on construction sites? Is that, is that the sort of thing that you put on a shelf and it's more of like a vase that you look at? Or is it a joke? Or why is Chanel making hard hats? Even if well, it was so a that, limited thing. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm pretty sure that that was used in a runway show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they ever produced it. But these brands, Chanel and Hermes, will do like these one-off ridiculous items whether, you know, Hermes did a bike, Chanel does, oh God, I was at this consignment store in Florida and I almost bought a Chanel tennis racket and tennis <laughs> ball set. They will make these items because these brands are, and this is one reason why I'm so fascinated by both of them, they are ultimate status symbols. They are signs of wealth that haven't changed and they hold value. It's not like other brands that go up and down. I mean, if you buy a Chanel bag, if you buy an Hermes bag, which I don't own any Hermes, I remember telling myself that I would like get myself one if I got like a book deal. But like, do you know what they're paying people for book deals these days? Like, I can't afford that shit. Like, what was I thinking? But they are status. Would you say that that there is no other brand that can touch either of these brands? I think Louis Vuitton... Uh-huh. which holds value just as strongly. But I think Chanel and Hermes are in a slightly different category where and I remember reading the book Primates of Park Avenue and the woman, this is a sort of sociological study of a woman and her family moving to the Upper East Side, which is fiercely competitive in terms of wealth and appearance, primarily of white women. And she talks about how everyone had a Birkin and she had to have one. And it was, it's, a, it's a pure status thing. I want to figure out why, but I also mm-hmm. kind of wanted to know the history. So, Sarah, are you ready to know the history of Chanel first? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> Hit me. So I stand Chanel, though there's there's some history in here that we'll get into. But so Gabrielle Chanel, Coco Chanel, started Chanel. She made hats initially. Coco Chanel's real name is Gabrielle? Yes. I did not know that. Gabrielle. Really uh, seems like something I would know. Okay. I've learned something already. Which also then makes sense to me as to why they just redid a bag two years ago called the Gabrielle. But again, that's in my head, not yours. Um, but so she she made hats and she was the mistress of a textile businessman. And because of that, she ran in some circles with some rich ladies that wanted to buy her hats. So she started selling her hats and she... In one of these situations where she was selling her hats, befriended someone else and became his mistress also, which like shout out to Coco Chanel. She's just like really reeling them in and and using that money for a jump off on her career. Making hats like, and having sex. Making hats, having sex, launching a business, go girl. So this guy 
ended up funding her first store at 31 Rue Cambon, which I am going to totally butcher my French as shit. You speak French, Sarah. I don't speak it well enough to impress anybody. I think well, you did just fine. Oh, thank you. So this was in about 1915, 1920. And so then... This guy financed Coco Chanel's first atelier, first place to expand beyond hats. And she started making clothing. Fashion began. You know, someone was like, well, and it's funny because what I was reading was women want to exercise. And by exercise, I think at that point, women were just sort of like taking brisk walks around a room. But uh, that's when she started making these these clothes for women, the practical designs, which allowed the wearer to play sport. If you told me that that Chanel started because, like, it was a Lululemon of, like, 1913. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, what? What? So our gal Coco came from rather humble beginnings. Very humble beginnings. Totally humble. Um, she was not a woman of wealth, but she was clearly chic as fuck and very shrewd and, and knew that she was able to get into these worlds of rich women that then want to give her money for her, her designs. And, you know, that's one thing about style is it's, it's irrespective of money. And a lot of times these major designers really didn't come from anything. I mean, that's not, not what this art and vision and capitalism and like, that's a whole other podcast, but, um, you know, I think that's, that's something that, that is, that is pretty admirable. So, then Coco started getting into perfume, which is where other people came in. She got some VC money. <laughs> she had a deck. Just kidding. This was like, you know, like 1930. <laughs> um, and they launched Chanel Number no. Five, which I think that you know, for a lot of people, that smell is evocative of someone's mother's mother. Well, it's my mother. That's for sure. My mother is a talk about a. She's a, she's a humble woman herself, but she always has Chanel Number no. Five on the dresser. And, it, and anytime anyone's wearing it, it's like, it's so strong, that yeah. feeling. Like, I got to call my mom. <laughs> yeah, well, scent is the strongest uh, sense tied to memory, which is why Andy Warhol used to change his cologne, I think, every three months so that he okay. would always make new memories. And I, that's true, too. Like, I smell, God, what did I, I wore, like, Dior something in college, and I smell it, and I'm like... <sighs> Frat party. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, go, it goes both yeah. ways. Men's cologne. You know, I'll, 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 I'll pass somebody wearing something where I'm like, 1992. <laughs> Whoa. Or where you remember like being in a car, driving around. You know, it's, it's some, some yeah. moment that, that is, is connected to, to that. Yeah, it's funny. My mom smells like Joe Malone, the, um, what's their original scent? But yes, yeah, so anytime I smell that, I can like hear her charm bracelet making a sound (laughs) she wears this charm bracelet so i always know where she is but yeah so so the perfume was really what put chanel on the map and that's really what you know really drove this business and we didn't we're not even getting into hand like there were no handbags yet which i was surprised about hermes started handbags way earlier uh but but chanel did not start handbags for a minute a little piece of dicey history here. So the venture capitalist who gave Coco the money to launch Chanel Number no. 5 and to expand beyond France and into uh, North America was Pierre Wertheimer. 
Wertheimer is a Jewish last name. He was a Jew. And uh, in Europe around this time, we are now getting into the Second World War and Nazis. This is not the direction that I that I expected this this episode to take. And in my research, I found out that there was some um, tension between Pierre Wertheimer and Coco Chanel, mostly about the business, but uh, that Coco Chanel, during the Nazi occupation of Paris, moved into the Ritz, Paris, and she was with a well-known uh, Nazi intelligence officer. She was so, she was romantically with him. Mm-hmm. And oh. she, yeah, and she was, uh, uh, at this point, um, there's a lot of political history here. But uh, then you have... You know, Pierre Wertheimer, who is the investor. And he's uh, basically like, I don't like your boyfriend because he's a murderer. Well, right. But he had to flee like his family. So so what they did was actually. So uh, many French Jews, most of them that could get out because of Hitler mm-hmm. could and did. So Pierre Wertheimer actually had something for his part of the, the mostly the perfume business, which was he's he. he he, in May 1940, it's saying he designated Felix Amiot, or Amio, a Christian French industrialist, as the Aryan proxy whose legal control of the Parfum Chanel business proved politically acceptable to the Nazis, who then allowed the perfume company to, to continue as an operating business. Wow. That, that is intense. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, he couldn't operate the business in France, so he was like, you are my you Yeah, know, it's, like a, it's like a human front. Yeah, it was a human front. So... That is something I, I certainly did not know. And, you know, a lot of this is alleged uh, that, that Coco Chanel was a Nazi collaborator and secret agent. So this is all nuts. She, like, you know, apparently was dispatched to London on a mission to communicate with Winston Churchill. It was a whole, like, this is, this is Chanel. I thought this is not, this is far from a black handbag with, with two metal right you know. and making sportswear yeah. for tennis ladies tennis ladies it's so a we whole, got a little it's a yeah, whole got a little dark all right well do we do we do we know how she how she <laughs> entered her next era <laughs> <laughs> well the end of the war she was arrested for having collaborated with the nazis wow uh, okay and then it's unclear apparently the t is that churchill like helped get her released anyway as a lot of um uh, bad folks nazis sympathize nazi sympathize, sympathizers fled she fled to switzerland or actually that's not true she went on an eight-year exile to switzerland and then seems, I guess that she seems came, like it's fleeing yeah that sounds part. pretty much like like fleeing and then she came back and i guess we never talked about it i never knew this i'm a jewish woman i feel some kind of way uh and I never knew this. And this definitely changes my perspective of Chanel, actually. Well, I don't blame you. It, it changes mine, it, it, at least to, to give what is an expensive brand of status a lot more context. Mm-hmm. But okay, as somebody who owns some Chanel bags, yeah. you said you've got <laughs> a couple. I, I mean, what, you know, how, how much does it bother you? Because because it's not as if, oh, I've been turning the other cheek about this horrible story for so many years. You simply didn't know it. So what happens now? Yeah, it's just making me think. I mean, I didn't know any of this until two hours ago when I was like, <laughs> I'm in the Wikipedia for Chanel. And I'm like, what? 
like, you know, brands and fashion designers, you know, again, this is this huge conversation about separating the art from the artist and all that sort of thing. But it does, it, it certainly makes me think. And, you know, as much as I love Paris and as much as I love France, like I am very aware of France's complex history mm-hmm. with the Jews. I, I, hopefully this will be the only episode like that's Holocaust adjacent, but you never know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Life you takes never know. you takes you down interesting alleys. All right. Well, so, so Chanel. So how about that? Switch it up. Yeah, okay. we're switching it up. All right. So so that's that's some sorted history. Um, but let's get into purses. Okay. Uh, there's no good segue. There's no good segue. It's like oh Nazis, but purses. Uh, I, I am not. I am the world's worst purse person, meaning I, I just don't care about them. Yeah. I care about shoes. You know, I care about a, a, a scarf. I care about fake sweatshirts, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. But I've never gotten bitten by the handbag bug, even though I know what a nice handbag is. And when I see somebody with a cool handbag, I go, oh, that looks really cool. It's just like, it's $300 I'm never wanting to part with. Yeah, LOL. Try like adding another couple zeros for for the bags we're about to discuss. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about the sh- so you know everybody knows the two point five five, which is they don't necessarily know it by name. I'm a, a you know crazy person who knows it by name, but the two point five five is that classic black maybe navy uh, fl- you know double C's interlocking to either gold or silver hardware classic Chanel bag that you see on a lot of people. And that is because it debuted in February 1955, so 255, oh. which is a cool, a cool little thing. And that has been their classic bag since 1955. I mean, really going strong, uh, bringing us up to almost the present day. Then the most recent item, which is interesting, and then maybe Chanel is trying to absolve many things at once. Uh, last December, they announced that they would no longer be doing fur or exotic skins which has been a whole long thing mm-hmm. a lot of crocodiles had to die for a lot of bags so that's that's good we should leave the crocs alone well that's certainly it's certainly a trend i know in the city of los angeles um we're getting close to banning the sale of fur in the, the city limits a variety of zip codes and interesting there's some fur trim on a couple things that i own uh and i wouldn't I I have complicated feelings about it. Uh, I try to stay away from it in general, but yeah, save the Crocs. That's interesting because I I wear fur, I wear leather, I almost everything I own is secondhand. Um, so that is my I feel one of my earthly duties, or you know, good for the environment. I don't know. I have a friend who is vegan, and she will only buy secondhand fur and leather because she's sort of like it's already dead. But mm-hmm. you know you got to figure out where where you where you land on that. So right. Chanel handbag. So it's funny. I the first time I ever went to Paris. What well, was I guess the second time? The first time I went by myself about four years ago. I always stay at a hotel that's right next to that original atelier on Thirty One Rue Cambon. And I remember my first morning in Paris. I walked out. I didn't realize this. Uh, it shares a wall with the atelier and the and the main flagship store and I walked out and I saw this enormous line of people and I thought that it was a famous bakery because I was like oh people must be standing outside ha 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 for like a nice croissant and instead it was a line to go into Chanel 
over the following, you know, subsequent week, I was only able to go like right before they were closing at an off hour because it was such a zoo, as is Hermes, which I'll talk about, you know, going in there and, you know, they barely even let you in the store, period. But so that was my first introduction to Chanel in Paris. And they are just a status symbol. I heard from a Chinese fashion blogger uh, that what's very interesting, so there, there is a huge issue with fakes and copies of Chanel. You need to be incredibly careful. I'll give you a little bit of sort of 101 on that. But if you are visiting from China, you're only allowed to buy one Chanel handbag every three months. Oh. Which and feels th- like... That, that's, that's Chinese rules or Chanel's rules? Chanel's rules. Huh. So this girl was she's smart i met her through like some fashion blogger and other fashion types in paris and part of her like job she would be out here because she had i think dual citizenship she's a french citizen was buying will buy handbags for chinese tourists got it uh because she can buy unlimited numbers i guess if you live in paris so that's just a little bit of of the actual tea um but so there is a lot of chanel on the internet it still is just a crazy status symbol i think if I ask most people what they're looking for, which I'm always asking them. They want a black Chanel bag. And, you know, if it looks too good to be true, it's it is. Yeah. You got to be really, really careful in let's let's do buying Chanel first. I mean, I think that it's going to be they're incredibly expensive. I mean, you said, Sarah, like you don't want to spend three hundred dollars on a handbag like uh, you you can get some for three thousand, but that's low, which is wild. Exactly, which is why the handbag game is just. To- I'm like, oh, I've I've folded before I've begun, because that's just it's it's too much money. But yeah, so what kind of deal could you expect to get if you if you get really lucky? Because you're not going to get a, a Chanel bag for three hundred dollars. It's not going to happen. It, it's fake no, at that I, point. No, I mean I've gotten scammed. So listen, even I who am out here like trolling internets, I got I got scammed. Rightfully so. Uh, I tried to buy a Chanel bag off of someone offline, which means, you know, I saw it on a site and then we got into messaging interpersonally, in which case you're totally fucked because you have no protections of any of these sites and you shouldn't do it. And yeah, I would like $1,200 back. Wow. You're kidding me. Oh, man. I know. And I'm a fucking idiot. And Zell has no protections for consumers but um i also what was i gonna say like it's a very frustrating situation and i was a dum-dum so don't be a dum-dum like me if you're gonna buy a chanel bag so the takeaway is keep it within uh, a site that has good return policies and and some protections because because once you're on your own then it's that more likely that the money is just literally getting burned in a fire yeah so i hope that whoever that is enjoyed a couple months of rent or whatever uh but uh fuck you but no i mean so apparently this china rule is because of the number of i mean chanel is probably the most replicated brand aka fakes Mm -hmm. china's fakes are wild china's fakes are so i mean we're gonna talk about this in another episode i'm fascinated by the wide world of fake bags and other fake things at this point but you know china's fake louis vuitton is so good that people buy the fake instead of the real because the quality is better which is nuts it is nuts. So you got to be really careful. In 1990s, Chanel started putting holograms in bags. So it always has to have a hologram. You need to make sure that. So let's do like a couple basic things if you're thinking about buying a Chanel bag. One, stick with a site. 
Two, figure out the return policy and or authentication policy. If you're really going to spend your money, it's a lot of money. I remember I did the Bloomingdale's marketing and buying program in college and I remember I the, the 59th Street store, Bloomingdale's, has a Chanel boutique in it. And my mom came up and bought the classic 2.55 caviar pebbled leather. And it was still like $2,100, which now that bag is like $5,000. It's an insane amount of money. Sarah, you're so lucky you never got into this. Like, I got into really nice bags for a minute. But it ended up, it's not a, it's not the best decision, let me tell you. I mean, I had a knockoff Kate Spade bag at one point, Mare. So you can see oh, how lo- how low how low I can sink, no problem. Because I was like, oh, it's kind of cute. I like the checker interior. So yeah, that's <laughs> the two point five five bag. I'm imagining it. I I haven't Googled it because I'm 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 enjoying your description of everything. But I think I know what bag you're talking about. You do. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's like I'm I'm I I could use a lot of a lot of education. This realm. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, it's a major purchase. Listen, they do hold value. Like, again, like figuring out why these brands hold value, talking about craftsmanship. You know, I'm going to speak to someone about like why these brands hold value to get some more perspective. So you can always sell it. However, it is a big investment. And even if you are going to sell it, you got to be careful. So I, I went I've gone into very fancy bags and then back again because I like to put sandwiches in my purse. Mm hmm. I have I I'm, I'm I have hypoglycemia. and that's like not a euphemism. You put food <laughs> no. in your. Perf- <laughs> well, you know, like you know, I, I don't ever trust anyone else to feed me. Like I never don't have a purse sandwich. Like I be out here with Celine bags with like a, a you know turkey sandwich in my bag. It's just who I am as a person. Um, hey, purses are meant to carry things, even when they're nice. I support you. I don't, I trust no bitch when it comes to feeding me. So I always have a purse sandwich. So always have a purse sandwich. But no, now I'm into, you know, still a couple hundred dollars, but less so because I also like to throw my shit around. I had a friend that just got an Hermes bag and she's like, I feel like a new parent. I'm like, well, if you can't put a sandwich in it, that should be your litmus test. (laughs) That's your purse litmus test. Yeah. How, how much are you willing to spend while still keeping your sandwich safe? Yeah, so there's a price uh, point there that everybody yeah. has. For me personally, like I only like the vintage Chanel stuff at this point. The bags, the 2.55 for me is sort of overdone, but it is a classic staple that's not going anywhere. I really love the 1990s era of Chanel, the sort of Linda Evangelista, super chunky gold. Um, I, there will be, you know, subsequent photo evidence of, of sort of some of the things we're talking about and, you know, show you where to find that. But, you know, some of the chunky stuff, stuff that's unique. Uh, I think that the overwhelming success of Chanel has made a lot of it epically sort of recognizable and replicable. Whereas one of the reasons why I do shop consignment is also so I like having things that other people don't. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of my, my two cents. So selling Chanel is very difficult. Wrapping up on buying Chanel, go to the, if you're going to buy secondhand, do the real real, do um, a place that's going to authenticate, ask for lots of photos. If it feels not right, it's not right. I was thinking about this and it's like, well, I care about it never gets old listeners, you know, having a good time and getting a good deal. But with these two brands, Chanel and Hermes particularly, like because they hold this kind of value, you're not going to get the deal of the century. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, it's more of have you saved up something that is going to be really special and you've decided you really, really want more than figure out how to get this a handbag half price. Yeah, because that's not going to happen with these bags. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing that really fascinates me about these two brands. And in terms of selling Chanel, I've said it on a previous episode. I'll say it again. It's a total bitch because this is a major investment for someone. And thus, they are going to ask you so many questions that you are you might just want to give it to a consignment store or the real real and have them take a giant cut so you don't have to deal with anyone. Right, right. Because it's either it's either that they suspect you're a fake, right? You're you're peddling right. a fake bag, or they're just about to part with thousands of dollars and really want to make sure that it's the right purchase. You know, is there a scratch? Is there you know is there something wrong with the with the threads or or well and in the couple of chanel bags that i've had i've either sold them to friends or friends of friends or given them to consignment stores because i don't want to deal with it right i mean here's the other thing if you're going to sell a chanel bag and you don't have you know authentication card you're fucked like you know now the bags come with a hologram and authentication card but like people are faking authentication cards like you just got to be careful both ways and but you know they're beautiful and i don't think we'll ever go out of style so what what is your feeling on if somebody has a fake bag that looks mm-hmm. as you mentioned sometimes the quality is even better than than mm-hmm. what the original would be what what the real version would be is there anything wrong with that if it looks real and you know it's not real but you are are able to pass it off as real is there some stigma we should all be thinking about? Because like I said, you know, I walk around with somebody's, well, I probably wear a lot of fake things that I don't even know about. But but I've, I've never really had an issue with it because it's just sort of an aesthetic. Like, oh, I like the way that looks. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about this a lot more in the world of fakes and scams and stuff. Because it's interesting. I think that as ownership changes, as we have a rental economy like one reason why resale is so big is we have we're owning less and and we we seem to be redefining luxury items. So it's funny I have a little magnet um that on my fridge it says it's a little cartoon of a girl and it says I can tell your purse is fake. Um <laughs> which is just bitchy. And I'm one of my best friends the first time we met she was like I was so honored cuz you asked me if my Chanel bag was real which meant you might have thought it was cuz if I had known it was fake I wouldn't have asked. Um but and I can't believe I asked her that. It's so rude. But you know, I have complicated feelings on it. I have bought fake things. I I will talk about my my varying uh, hustles in in high school and college, and we've all bought fake stuff. So it's interesting. It's like you know, you want the status symbol, and should you have to pay for it? Can you buy a fake version and still feel good? What? does that fund i mean it's a pretty dark world the world of fake things there are very few regulations when it comes to chemicals when it comes to worker conditions mm-hmm. and you know sort of where that money's going so i i think it will we should definitely break it down further absolutely yeah i i think um you know you mentioned louis vuitton as another brand it's like you, you always see that family at the airport and you kind of look and you go like there's just no way there's just no way that, that they have like seven bags that are all uh, authentic Louis Vuitton. But whatever, they like the way it looks. I, I mentioned I'm, I'm not much of a handbag person, but I do buy makeup from Chanel. They have really good foundation. I've been using it for years. Right. And so it's sort of like 
Well, okay. If I think of it in that in that sense, if I bought a lipstick from Chanel and then the same beautiful shade that was super flattering to me was right. a, was available at Walgreens, I mean, nobody cares. Nobody cares about stuff like that. So, how much do we care about the clothing? But you you bring up a really good point that working conditions and unregulated situations and even possibly health risks is 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 definitely a factor. Well, I've I've. You know, I'm not thrilled to admit, you know, having spent money on fake things, but I mean, all you got to do is smell it. I mean, I wasn't going to lean over and smell my friend's Chanel bag, but usually you can sniff out a fake, if you will. (laughs) So, Sarah, you and I have talked about Chanel for like a solid 45 minutes, um, and I (laughs) thought that the world of Chanel and Hermes was going to be... Uh, one episode turns out just kidding it's two and uh, we're gonna follow it up next time all about Hermes or Hermes as I like to troll people and then they say "Um, you know it's Hermes I'm like oh really (laughs) Uh, so so thank you for listening to part one of the world of Chanel and Hermes I hope you learned some things I hope you thought about the you know second world war Uh, and making hats and maybe wearing a Chanel suit to play tennis. It was what it was originally intended for, so think about it. Um, And you can find It Never Gets Old online at ingopodcast.com. There you'll learn more about your host, me, Meredith Feynman, my producer, Sarah Lane. Uh, You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ingopodcast. Please tag us in your finds, your deals, your best outfits. I will definitely be reposting some of those. Uh, And on our website, ingopodcast.com, you can also leave a comment. Please subscribe uh, and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 